When we're under stress, we often regress. That's a phrase used by many psychologists, and it's sadly true, because stress usually brings out the worst in us. For myself, when I'm stressed, I can be snappy and short-tempered, and I can be prone to make hasty decisions that I might later regret. What happens to you under stress? And then think about how the normal stresses of life are amplified right now because of the unprecedented challenges we face. We are in the midst of a global pandemic that has resulted in significant social isolation and major economic challenges. How are you and I responding to this incredible stress? Does our behavior reflect the patience and the trust that flows from our faith in Jesus? Or are we responding with anxiety or anger or resentment. Now, if we're not responding well, it's certainly understandable because that's the typical human reaction. When we're under stress, we regress. And yet that's actually the problem because our human reactions to stress usually are not godly reactions. And this is one of the underlying issues facing the churches in ancient Galatia. They are under stress from the invasion of legalistic false teaching. There are false teachers coming into the church and they're accusing the Apostle Paul and the other leaders of being false teachers. And those accusations are destroying their unity. It's an intensely stressful time. And the answer for them is the same as the answer for us. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. In all situations, but especially when we're under stress, we cannot ultimately rely on ourselves. Instead of self-led lives, God wants us to enjoy spirit-led lives. And that's what the Apostle Paul describes in the book of Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list of brokenness, broken spirituality, broken sexuality, broken relationships. And Paul calls these things acts of the flesh, but he doesn't mean they all come from our bodily appetites. He just means that they come from within us. They are human behaviors that are marks of a self-led, self-driven life. And why is it that we sometimes do these kinds of things? Well, sometimes we do them for short-term pleasure. Sometimes we may do them because we've given up on God. 
And sometimes these kinds of behaviors are an unhealthy attempt to medicate the stresses of life. Now, this certainly is not a complete list of human brokenness. It's just the list that the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to write to this church or to these churches in Galatia at that time to help them examine their lives. And it makes me wonder if Paul were alive today, what would the Holy Spirit prompt him to write to Gardenway Church? What are the issues of brokenness that we need to address? Now, we usually don't like to ask such such questions because they make us uncomfortable. And let's be honest, rather than examine ourselves, we'd always rather point the finger at others. And so we read a list like this one here from Paul, and we see things like sexual immorality and orgies. And it's clear that our culture has removed virtually all of the guardrails that help promote a healthy, healthy approach to sexuality, so it's tempting to focus on that part of the list. And yet it's wrong to do so if we then ignore other issues that might more deeply infect the church. For example, I can't think of a single church that is known for having orgies. But sadly, I can think of hundreds that are known for having a church split. What is it that drives churches apart Acts of the flesh that Paul calls discord, rage, and dissension. Acts of the flesh like selfish ambition, the selfish ambition of a person who provokes needless controversy over secondary matters in order to promote their viewpoint and lead a faction. And if there's discord and factionalism in a church, then we know that gossip and Slander also are present because those behaviors drive and feed disunity. And the reality is this disunity is the biggest ongoing weakness of the church of Jesus Christ through all generations. So this is an area that cries out for our attention. And if we think we can fix the culture of society when the culture of the church is broken, and we're just fooling ourselves. Jesus doesn't want us to turn our back on the world, but our first priority is to learn how to experience healthy community with one another and live in peace. After all, the followers of Jesus can't live together in peace, then what is it that we have to offer the world around us? And this was certainly true for the believers in Galatia. And oh, is it true for us. Right now, all over this country, the culture of the church is breaking down. Division and discord and disunity is rampant as congregations argue over politics and race and appropriate responses to the pandemic and so much more. We are under intense stress, but far too often we're regressing and we're yielding to the passions of self and embracing some of the unhealthy behaviors described here. And I'm thankful that God shows us a better way. 
The antidote to the brokenness of the self-led life is to embrace the grace of a spirit-led life. And that's what Paul talks about next as we continue on in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine is reflected in our character in nine specific ways that Paul here calls the fruit of the Spirit. And it's important to understand that these these are not skills we acquire, behaviors that we learn. They are life-giving attributes poured into you and me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this means that if we're not at peace, then yielding to the Spirit can cause peace to flourish within us. It means that if we lack joy, the Spirit as we yield to Him can cause that joy to flourish within us. And Paul tells us that this Spirit-shaped fruit of our character is wrapped in a very distinctive skin. Love on one side and self-control on the other. It seems to me that when we allow God's Spirit to give us self-control, And we combine that self-control with the spirit-inspired love of God. And I really do think it becomes much easier for God to give birth to all of these spiritual qualities in our lives. Spirit-led love and spirit-led self-control are a potent combination. And they help these characteristics come alive in your life and mine. And that's why this list offers such a contrast to the earlier list. Self-led behavior so often leads to brokenness, while spirit-led behavior leads to wholeness. Wholeness for me. Wholeness for you. Wholeness for us. So if the fruit of the Spirit isn't flourishing in your life or mine, then it means that we're, we're more self-led than Spirit-led. And we need to yield more of ourselves to God. It means we're not living in the reality of what Paul describes here in verse 24. He says that our self-driven nature has been crucified. And sometimes, unfortunately, we, we let that nature just kind of crawl off the cross and continue to be part of our lives. The answer is to keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul says. And if we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, then the grip of self continually fades away. Jesus reigns more fully in our lives. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? We do it through worship and through prayer. We keep in step with the Spirit as we read and meditate on the Scriptures. We keep in step with the Spirit as we fellowship. And as we practice mutual submission and learn from one another. And as we do these things, we stay attentive to what is driving our attitudes and actions. Are we driven by the passions of self or the leading of the Spirit? 
And as we do these things, we ask God to cause the fruit of the Spirit to flourish in our lives. And as that happens, then the work of the Spirit will flow out of us in enriching, rewarding, life-giving behavior toward others. When we embrace a Spirit-led life, People won't see in us an attitude of conceited self-righteousness. Instead, they will see men and women who are full of joy and whose lives reflect the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. When we embrace a Spirit-led life, people won't hear us speaking words of discord. Instead, they will hear us speak the truth in love in order to pursue peace and live together in unity. God's family. I've spent a lot of time pondering and wondering about the fruit of the Spirit and trying to discern how God wants all this to work in our lives. And I am convinced that each of these nine characteristics is vitally important. I really don't believe that one is more dominant than the other. But I do think at times God will emphasize one more than another to address specific issues in our lives. For example, if, if we lack self-control with our temper, then God might bring that to our attention. And he might, he might put us into situations where we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us the self-control that we lack. And so in that season, self-control might be more important for us than the other parts of the fruit. And right now, I think there's one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that the church of Jesus Christ really needs to pay attention to. It's the one here called forbearance. Many Bible translations say patience, but forbearance is a better translation and it's a much richer word because it means that we accept each other and we put up with each other. It means we show some grace toward people in the community who are different than we are. And if we don't naturally have the quality of forbearance, then the Spirit wants to give birth to it in our lives. And forbearance is important because it's a spiritual fruit that can help lead us toward peace. Because when we practice forbearance, we learn how to agree to disagree. We recognize that we don't have to see eye to eye on everything in order to get along and be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we recognize that if we agree on Jesus, we agree that he is the only way to God, that only through Jesus can we experience the mercy and forgiveness of God. Oh, if we agree on that, then a whole lot of other stuff really does become secondary. At our last church, there was a guy on staff named Richard. And he and I disagreed on just about everything. We disagreed about politics. We disagreed about ministry philosophy and so much more. And you know, it's hard enough when, as a ministry, you have disagreements with church members, but it's actually a lot harder when you're a minister and you have disagreements with another minister who's on the staff and he's one of your colleagues. Richard and I had a number of spirited conversation and realized we were never going to change each other's minds about lots and lots of these things. But then we realized that we didn't have to because we agreed about Jesus. 
Read about Jesus and the ministry of the kingdom of God. And so we learned to practice forbearance with one another. We agreed to disagree about secondary matters. And as a result, we were able to live together in peace and serve together in unity. And because of that, together we had the privilege of connecting a number of people to Jesus and leading them together through the process of repentance and baptism and forgiveness and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, when we yield to the Spirit and allow Him to cultivate within us an attitude of forbearance, it helps us take a huge step toward peace and unity. And right now in this season of intense stress in our world, now more than ever is a time for followers of Jesus to let go of the self-led life and embrace the grace of a spirit-led life. And let God cause the fruit of the spirit to flourish in your life and my life and in the life of our church. So I find myself wondering, what attributes of the Spirit's fruit might God want to highlight in this season in your life? For your sake as a follower of Jesus and for the sake of our life together. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and increasingly be Spirit-led people.